Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Blessed Yule to you, Kate, and everyone else out there who celebrates this season or the winter solstice in any form. Yes, and you as well. Thank you. (laughs) A little announcement before we begin and forget to mention this, but today's episode will be the last full episode of 2020. But we do have a mini episode planned for December 30th, all about La Bifana and the last full moon of 2020. And then our regular episodes will pick back up on January 13th. Yes, and we have so many good things planned for 2021. New interviews, more mythology discussions, and we're also going to be answering some listener questions. So if you've been pondering something witchcraft, ritual, or alchemy related, send us an email at podcast at tamedwild.com. So we talked quite a bit about winter solstice on our last episode, Mm -hmm. but we knew that we also wanted to write an episode dedicated to Yule, because even though there is some overlap, not everyone who celebrates the solstice celebrates Yule, and vice versa. And there's lots to say about this season, more so than we could ever capture in a 30-minute podcast. But I know that, Kate, you just finished a booklet about the Sabbaths that will be in this month's Tamed Wild Box, and I'm curious if there was anything you learned about Yule during this process that you didn't already know, or maybe that you thought was surprising or special or strange. I'm really excited about that booklet. I can't wait to hold it in my hand. But (laughs) in making it, I came across a new winter crone. And you know how I feel about all things crone related. So I'm not exactly sure how to say her name, but Beira, Mm -hmm. B-E-I-R-A. And Beira is the crone or hag aspect of the triple goddess and commands the darkest days of the calendar between Samhain and Beltane. You can find Beira as she appears when the earth is dying, and she is often portrayed as a one-eyed woman. Her one eye is meant to symbolize her ability to see beyond duality and toward the oneness of all creatures. She is known as a bringer of storms, and she is thought to be a goddess of both death and rebirth, as she finds and nourishes the seeds buried in the earth, bringing forth spring. In one story, Bira carries with her a magic staff, and with each touch to the ground, the ground itself freezes. At the end of winter, Bira casts her staff into the holly and the gorse bush to symbolize winter ending, and then the great goddess turning to stone. So these trees are then believed to be sacred at this time. Bira definitely has a lot in common with the winter crone goddess archetype that we see so often at this time of year in folklore. Do you know what her background is, where her story originates from? 
Yeah, I th- and I think that's what actually drew me to her. Um, her background is she's a goddess from Scotland. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't write about Vera, but I did write about another winter crone, one that lives high in the Icelandic mountainside and who goes by the name of Gryla. I always love exploring the shadow side of Sabbaths or traditions, especially Yule, because there are so many interesting superstitions about the season. And if we dig deeper, there's usually a great story behind them as well. So in the spirit of the solstice, I wanted to share some of my favorite superstitions and stories surrounding the Yuletide season. We've all heard of the Yule Log and the celebratory fire that we light on the eve of the winter solstice. Although there are stories that suggest we should burn the Yule Log for an entire week or for the 13 days leading up to Yule, the eve of the winter solstice is the most important date. Typically, a family would search and search until they found the perfect log made from oak or ash to transform into that year's Yule Log. People living in the old world would carve protective symbols into the wood, and in many cases, a picture of Kaliak, the Celtic crone of the misunderstood. Her domains include winter, death, and ancestry. The lighting of the Yule Log was meant to symbolize the return of the sun, because, as you probably already know, and as we mentioned in our last episode on the winter solstice, after Yule, the days will begin to grow longer and the nights shorter. The longest night of the year was believed to be a time when spirits, some nice, some not so nice, would visit. So if we had the sun's protection on the longest night of the year, you could rest easy and enjoy the moment. Today, and even in the past, the entire family would pitch in to prepare the Yule log for burning. You would anoint it with fragrant oils, spices, wine or beer, and bind it with ribbon and a few extra evergreen branches that might be lying around. Some people included handwritten wishes and notes for the solstice spirits, and if you finished decorating the Yule log before the eve of the solstice, it doubled as a temporary centerpiece for the dining table, usually encircled by a ring of lit candles for safekeeping. But what is a person to do if they light the Yule log and the unthinkable happens? For one reason or another, the fire goes out, the log won't ignite at all, or it is only partially burned by the time the sun comes up the following day. This was typically a bad omen. At the very least, it was a sign that something was not quite right, and your home was now vulnerable to the tricky Yuletide spirits, whether that be fey folk or the mischievous Yule lads. I wrote a piece on the Magic and Alchemy blog all about the Yule Lads and their mother, Gryla, so if anyone wants the full story, you can find it there. But in short, the Yule Lads are a bunch of annoying little spirits that will slide down your chimney the moment the Yule Log goes out and basically just irritate you to death. (laughs) They will misplace your possessions, make messes, pinch you, poke you, eat your leftovers, stress out your familiars... And they can also manipulate any helpful spirits, ancestral or not, that may be hanging out in your home. And once the Yule Lads get in, there's really only one way to get them out. 
you have to summon their very intimidating mother, Gryla. Gryla is portrayed as someone who, for the lack of a better word, is scary. (laughs) She's described as a giant, troll-like woman who rarely emerges from her mountainous cave. She is an ancient Icelandic spirit, one who carries a very dark history from her years as a mortal witch. Gryla is feared not only because of her appearance, but because she has a reputation as a kidnapping, child-eating sorceress. And there's truth to these accusations. Gryla has done some unthinkable things in the name of self-preservation. But in the event that the Yule Lads find their way into your home, Gryla is the only woman who can save you. The witchcraft equivalent of calling someone's mother. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So if this does happen, may we suggest that you think of Gryla not as the cannibalistic monster from her past, but as an embodiment of the winter solstice. Her story is dark, but the history of midwinter is even darker. In remote communities where harsh weather was the norm, if families were ill-prepared for winter, death wasn't unlikely. And even if you had a wonderful harvest season and your woodshed was stocked, tragedy could still strike in the form of crime, sickness, or catastrophic weather. And it's like what you said about self-preservation as well and kind of honoring that space of her story. Absolutely. She's Mm -hmm. had to make really hard choices, but there's a lot of layers to Gryla. Mm -hmm. So when you summon Gryla to collect her Yule Lads and take them back up the mountain, make her an offering fit for a solstice queen. Consider your finest wine or liquor, a bundle of kindling to keep her cauldron boiling, a generous donation of shoes or clothing made in her name to someone in need, or something else that you might offer the Celtic goddess Kaliak, whose story has been conflated with Gryla's on more than one occasion. Did you ever make any connection between Gryla and the story of the goddess and god? Yes, I'm really happy you asked that because it may sound silly because at first Gryla sort of comes off as this one-dimensional folk character. Mm -hmm. But in certain retellings, at the winter solstice, she gives birth to the sun. And my first thought was, wow, this makes her way more complex. As a bringer of light and new life, she's now taking on more of a triple goddess role. I think there's a lot more to explore when you consider Gryla as the goddess who gives birth to the god at winter solstice. But also that same depiction leaves me with so many questions. Is the newborn son meant to represent the child that Gryla sacrificed in the mortal world? Does that mean that the god actually dies by the goddess's hand, metaphorically speaking, instead of his own? And if the goddess represents death, transformation, and rebirth, perhaps that's a reason that the god leans into his sacrifice at the end of harvest season. He likely understands that his departure is a part of the cycle, and come spring, he'll be back. Yeah, exactly. And it seems to come back to all of these patterns that we see in cycles, right? Absolutely. So with all this reading and research that I was doing for the winter solstice annual episodes, I couldn't help but notice some other patterns popping up again and again. One in particular, the number 13. And not just in Gryla's story, although I should mention that she is mother to 
13 Yule Lads, and in some retellings, she has 13 tales. 13, as you likely already know, shows up quite a bit in mythology, folklore, witchcraft, goddess worship, and even pop culture. Most noticeably in pop culture would be the attempt to vilify 13 as bad luck, but it's 2020, so (laughs) we know better. All we have to do is look at Friday the 13th, a day rumored to be the most cursed of dates. In reality, Friday the 13th is a day to celebrate the goddess. Friday is ruled by Venus, the Roman goddess of love and beauty. She embodies the creative feminine energy that all humans carry. 13 also aligns with the number of full moons per calendar year. Although sometimes there are 12 full moons, when there are 13 in one year, the 13th is called a blue moon. In tarot, the 13th card in the major arcana is the death card. By now, I'm a broken record, but we can all agree (laughs) that death and midwinter have much in common. So I'm seeing all these 13s popping up over and over again, and I can't help but take note. I read that in December, the 13 days leading up to the winter solstice are believed to be sacred. Legend says that if you're blessed with a baby on the solstice, or any of the 13 days leading up to this date, the child will be born with the ability to see winter spirits. But even if your birthday falls on the opposite end of the calendar, you can sharpen your psychic abilities through dream divination, because whatever we dream during the 13 days leading up to Yule is believed to be prophetic. I mentioned earlier that some people keep the Yule log lit for 13 days, and that might partially tie into the superstition that otherworldly visits are more frequent during this time. If the spirit world uses these 13 days to share messages and insights that could prove life-changing in the coming year, then generating a little extra protection and good fortune in the form of the number 13, a charred yule log, and a roaring hearth fire sounds pretty good to me. And as someone who I think of as a dream divination witch, it's your birthday coming up. Yes, yes, it is on the 22nd. And I've said it before, but I'm sure that's just such a huge part of the reason that I love midwinter so much. I love it. (laughs) So today I wanted to go a little bit of two directions with my Yule talk, so bear with me. But think glitter magic and the wild hunt. (laughs) I like where this is going. So I find that the wild hunt is really fascinating because it varies so much across history. As a teenager, I used to listen to that song by The Tallest Man on Earth. And there's that line, it's like, I left my heart to the wild hunt a-comin'. I live until the call, and I plan to be forgotten when I'm gone. Yes, I'll be leaving in the fall. I love that. So the whole time I was researching this week, I just couldn't stop singing. And what's worse is that my piece this week for Magic and Alchemy is about Rhiannon. So you know that Stevie Nicks was also on the brain. Absolutely. <laughs> like many tales from folklore, the wild hunt varies based on who is telling it and from what part of the world. Traditionally, the wild hunt is a procession of spectral huntsmen that streak across the sky, their ghostly steeds, hounds, and birds traveling with them. 
from the book Mountain Thunder by Kevdolf Hagen Gunderson. When the winter winds blow and the Yule fires are lit, it is best to stay indoors, safely shut away from the dark paths and the wild heaths. Those who wander out by themselves during the Yule nights may hear a sudden rustling through the tops of the trees, a rustling that might be the wind, though the rest of the wood is still. But then the barking of dogs fills the air and the hosts of wild souls sweep down, fire flashing from the eyes of the black hounds and the hooves of the black horses. Some stories say that the hunting party is made up of fey folk, others elves, though there is an agreement on the idea of demons and devilish beings. For a majority of these tales, the hunt is led by Odin, but some people claim that the devil himself leads the hunt, while others state that goddesses or the evil corrupted forms of goddesses charge at the front of them all. Some stories I found even say that a companion of Saint Nick himself has rumored to be at the head of the pack. The hunting party was said to pass through forests in the coldest, stormiest time of the year, and anyone found outdoors would be swept up into the hunting party involuntarily and dropped miles from their original location. Practitioners of magic may have sought to join the berserkers while their bodies remained safely at home. Across Europe, the wild hunt appears at various times of the year, but most commonly over Yule. This is not surprising, as Yule was regarded as the season in which supernatural visitations were the most common. In particular, the spirits of the dead were allowed to return. It feels really similar to the days leading up to Samhain, but I would wager that the winter solstice ancestor connection feels more serious in some way this time of year. Yeah, definitely. I feel like something about the coldness of things feels more haunted to me. Mm -hmm. Like in the days up to Samhain, I can still feel summer in some ways, and there's more of a trickster element to me. Yeah. But when I think about the spirit of this time, the stillness of it feels more solemn. Although, like I'll go into it later, there is a glittery aspect to it. But I do think it's interesting because the way that Christmas time was sort of Christianized, we lost some of those spooky elements, but it's actually really witchy, whereas Halloween kind of remains more outwardly witchcraft focus and kind of retains some of that Samhain um, on the surface, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's one of those if you know, you know sort of things. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, despite some of that solemn energy, when I think about celebrating Yule, I also think a lot about decoration. Like I mentioned in our solstice episode, my first jobs were at an ice cream shop and a Christmas tree farm, seasonally. And so at a young age, making wreaths with my hands felt like very ritualistic work. It's a way to bring magic into the home, and like a decorated table during dumb supper at Samhain, a Yule tree, evergreen, mistletoe allows the home to become an altar. Evergreens are symbolic during Yule to represent rebirth and renewal. It was thought that the strength of the evergreen would encourage the sun to return. Holly is the masculine element of the plant allies during Yule. It was thought that the sharp nature of holly would assist the home in warding off evil spirits where mistletoe is considered the feminine element of the plant during Yule. 
Druid priests believed that these plants with their green leaves represented fertility. The Yule tree is another important symbol of Yule. The Yule tree represents the tree of life. So once your Yule tree was situated in your home, it was customary to decorate with pine cones, berries, and with offerings for the gods, goddesses, and the divine. curious, Kate, what's your relationship to plants like, not just for Yule and the solstice, but just in general during the winter months? I know you're a bit of a plant and herb addict, so (laughs) how do you stay connected to that energy during the dark half of the year? I think, um, you know, being in Brooklyn in some ways has instructed me really nicely in how to do this when I can't be out in the natural world, but Um, I think I focus more on working with the energetics of the plant. So like with evergreen and holly, they're very visually pleasing and the smell of evergreen does a lot. But here in the city, I make Cody walk with me past the Christmas tree stands on purpose. (laughs) I think I mentioned that I was taking a poisonous plants course. um, And obviously, I'm not ingesting those. So During this time, trying to tune in with plants that maybe aren't around you or are not safe for ingesting, you can kind of meet them in the space of meditation. I also think that the winter time is a great time to study um, and do a lot of reading or to make herbal tea blends. I think that's a lot of fun. I know that the Tamed Wild box last month had an elderberry syrup recipe, and so that's a great way to work with plants and also to let the plants work with you. And beyond plants as decoration, there's also glitter, which I can't stop thinking about this week. (laughs) Glitter has been used for rituals since prehistoric times, and my family was a huge tinsel family. My family was as well. Um, but that's so random because I always thought that glitter was more of a modern day invention, but I guess it's been around for a long time. Yeah, so since around 40,000 BC, humans wow. started dusting sparkly crushed minerals into cave paintings. As early as the 6th century AD, Mayan people were adding glitter made of mica to their temples. So during Yule, I like to add some glitter. You can roll your candles in glitter, add it to a votive or to your altar, dust it across your mistletoe or holly, whatever you feel called to do. I think it adds a nice sparkle to winter magic. Yes, glitter is one of those things that 99% of the time I hate, but for (laughs) some reason at winter, glitter is always welcome in my life. It makes sense. And, you know, I think it's nice for like that New Year's sort of energy as well, like a real celebratory. Yes. How will you be celebrating Yule this year? Uh, with a Yule log, of course. <laughs> and it'll actually be my first year doing a Yule log. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do, but for whatever reason, have never made time to do it. And so I think you inspired me to maybe add some glitter to this year's creation. This is really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And now I think we're out of time. So until next time, friends, blessed Yule. Blessed Yule. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, the new podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. 
You can find us online at K8Blue and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for our next episode on December 30th, a mini episode on Christmas Witch Labifana and the last full moon of 2020. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.